Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. We're really pleased today to have Louise, Reverend Louise Hamm, who are team leader of Global Discipleship. And Louise holds a position with a a great organization. And people know I very seldom say that. Uh, A great organization called Canadian Baptist Ministries, who we consider to be a close partner with us. And we really appreciate and value the work that they do throughout the world and that's why I said we really see them as an organisation that we like to commit to, work with and to affirm. So Louise, thank you. You've been here, I know in the past, but we welcome you here again today. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's almost afternoon though, isn't it? I'm going to watch the time. But uh, Good morning. It's really good to be here. I realise I haven't been here in person uh, since since the I know it's, it's not new, but I was saying to John, like, you know, do these walls pull back? And is this <laughs> still there? And John kindly reminded me that actually we were the last class that got to practice baptisms here. So my apologies. <laughs> you can imagine how well that went now that you did There was a reason. <laughs> it wasn't a pool party. We, uh, maybe it could have been a little more reverent than we were. But um, I, I have so many wonderful memories of my time here at ABC, and so it is always good to be back, um, and absolutely, we are partners with you here at Acadia. Uh, so on behalf of CBM, I want to bring greetings, uh, and thank you so much for the invitation to be here. Um, I do want to share about CBM this morning, so that you are familiar with um, Canadian Baptist Ministries, which is the Canadian Baptist Global Mission Partner for um, our family of churches right across the country. Uh, but I want to share this morning through the lens of the SENT program, because that's the, the program that I oversee at CBM. It was formally called uh, short-term mission, and you're probably more familiar with that term. 
Um, I would imagine that many of you have experience with short-term mission, or STM. Uh, I will tell you about one of my earliest experiences with mission. Uh, it was back in the 90s, uh, during my days in youth group, and my church was located uh, near a, a fairly large public housing community where there was a lot of material poverty. <clears throat> and this neighborhood from time to time became sort of the mission field for our church. And my observations as a teenager, um, it looked like sort of this mission field, our, um, our mission to the community looked like number one, inviting them to our programs, and number two, doing service projects in their community that we had identified. One of those service projects was cleaning up garbage. And we seem to do this a lot. Uh, there, seemed to, there seemed to be a lot of garbage. And I remember as a young teenager um, wrestling with this and being confused. Like, thinking, you know, I'm only 14, but I know that it doesn't matter how old you are or how much money you have. You actually do know how to dispose of garbage. This is, this is something that we know. And I remember thinking, there's also no lack of garbage cans in the community. So what's going on here? Why, why do we keep doing this over and over and over again? And so even as a young teenager, I started wrestling with some of these questions. And I imagine that you have had uh, your own struggles understanding mission, whether it's local or global. And what, like, what exactly are we doing? We've wrestled with this at CDM, of course. Um, I mentioned the name change from STM or short-term mission to sent because we've really wrestled with, you know, does short-term mission even exist? And so we've, we've changed the name of that program to reflect sort of our theology and understanding of mission. We've wrestled with some of the financial realities. It's not cheap to go cross-culturally. We've wrestled with who to send on mission, where to send them, how to send them. All of these are certainly a reality for us. Uh, and so I would like to have some dialogue this morning. This is called a conversation. You can click on to the next slide, explore. I'm really bad at the slides, so you just, you just advance when you feel like you need to go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> just keep rolling. Um, you can so speed I, up the talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you get bored, you just like, go right to the end. So I'll <laughs> Uh, but I do want to have a bit of a conversation today. Uh, I'm not the smartest person in this room by far and do not have um, the most experience in this. So I do want to hear from you and I do want to hear where you're thinking in terms of mission. So what have you struggled with in terms of mission, whether it's local or global, um, either as a participant uh, or as a ministry leader? Just pretend I don't work for a mission agency, and you can be totally honest. Zoom <laughs> people can jump in. Yes, absolutely. If you're online, please um, do whatever you do. Unmute and, and join us. I, I have one. Yeah, absolutely. After reading My Helping Hurts, yeah. going on a mission trip, that then the local church asked us to do something that was when Helping Hurts. Yeah. So then do I tell them, oh, you don't know as good as I do about missions. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't do that Absolutely. Yeah. 
that no one asked me to pick up their garbage. Ten times, over and over. <laughs> yeah. So I've never been on a mission very far away, but yeah. one thing I've kind of struggled with is the conflict of hearing from people who go, oh, like, it's this great thing, but then hearing from other people, yeah, but, like, isn't that dangerous? Sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You could define danger in all kinds of ways in that. Yeah. Struggling with uh, the Western mindset of what are we going to do when we get there, and getting there and realizing maybe it's different, and finding out that being there mm -hmm. with people is probably the priority. Absolutely. Yeah. I think just wrestling with the long history of this activity in the world, and some has been good, and yeah, some has not, and it's, yeah. you know, participating in that. Yeah, thank you. Those are great. Those are great responses, and I'm sure there are dozens more. Absolutely. So there are struggles with short-term mission trips. There's struggles with every type of, of mission that we engage in. Uh, Brian Fickert, one of the authors of uh, when, Help, when Helping Hurt, says it quite directly. I love this quote. He says, "You can't solve poverty in a two-week trip, but you sure can make it worse through how you act and the things that you say." Uh, yeah, eye-opening, isn't it? Which is true. This is true. However, we've also determined that it's worth figuring this out. Because we have absolutely seen real transformation as people have joined God, joined God in what he's doing around the world, especially in places where there's deep suffering, injustice, and poverty. And so we do not have it all figured out at CBN, but we are certainly committed to doing the best that we can with the knowledge and the experience that we have, which is a fair amount. We're about to celebrate 150 years next year. So I want to share with you uh, some of our learnings, some of the things that are important to us at CBN as we consider a mission, so that you can get to know us a little bit better, and so that as you, um, so many of you are ministry leaders, and those of you who are preparing to be, um, can discern all of these mission agencies that you're going to bump up against. You're going to have so much literature on your desk and I want you to be a little bit familiar with CBM and who we are so that you can discern the best mission agency that you can partner with. We don't turn away from the challenges at CBM. Um, we don't turn away from the imperfections and the messiness of this work that we know we're engaged in, but rather we do look to, to scripture and the way of Jesus to discern what the best way forward is as we join God in mission. The text that was read earlier, thank you, um, announces Jesus' mission. Right. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In Jesus' ministry, or we hear it here in the text, but we see it all through scripture in Jesus' ministry, that it's through word and deed. And we call this the theology of integral mission which can be defined um, as the task of bringing the whole of life under the Lordship of Christ and includes the affirmation that there is no biblical dichotomy between evangelistic and social responsibility in bringing Christ's peace to the poor and oppressed. We could just talk about that for the next hour. Um, there's a lot in there, but this is how we define integral mission, the idea that it is word and deed 
together. It's holistic transformation of the entire person, our mind, body, and soul. And it's for all people, those who engage in mission and those who are recipients. <coughs> and in the type of work that we do at CBM, we are particularly engaged in areas of poverty and injustice because we see this in Jesus' life. We see this all through scripture, right? In the Psalms, in the prophets, in, in the Gospels, 140, 146, Micah 6, Luke 10 and 19, Matthew 25, all throughout scripture, we see that there is this particular concern for the poor. And therefore, we think it's important to understand a little bit about poverty. So how would you define poverty? Not rhetorical. You can... uh, <laughs> yeah. Having less than what you need to make ends meet. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what else? Lack. Being bound up in a system that's been against you from the beginning for generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we often define poverty uh, in terms of a lack of things, and that's that's true. Uh, we often define it in a lack of material resources. Perhaps that's maybe where your mind went first. That's often where I first go, oh, lack of shelter, lack of clothing, lack of food, all these things. And this is certainly part of it. But when we ask the material poor to define poverty, they use really different terms. A couple quotes here I'm going to share with you. So from someone living in material poverty in Moldova, for a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. <coughs> From Uganda, when one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. She has no food, so there's a famine in her house, no clothing and no progress in her family. And from Cameroon, the poor have a feeling of powerlessness and an inability to make themselves heard. What do you hear in these quotes? Solidarity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Lack of agency. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an emotional response, isn't it? Not where my head goes, in my experience. These feelings of shame and inferiority and powerlessness, this is how the material poor define poverty. And so it's really sobering for me to consider whether the garbage that I picked up as a teenager was of any help. And it's terrifying to think perhaps we actually caused harm in that community. Because the problem wasn't a lack of garbage cans. The problem is a lack of dignity. If you don't feel respected or worthy or heard or seen or human, I think picking up garbage is probably the last thing on your mind. And so we often misdiagnose the problem and we treat the symptoms rather than the root causes. And when we do that, we actually can cause more harm. Right. And so sometimes when I do orientations with set participants, we make a list of all the reasons why this is a terrible idea. It's a lot of fun. And I'm all really discouraged, and I think, oh, man, maybe I'll lose my job today. I don't know. Um, 
this is the reality, though, of what, what we try to engage in. When we misdiagnose the problem, there's a potential to cause more harm. So instead, at CBM, we, we approach poverty by understanding that, in fact, we are all poor. We are all in need. Because we all experience brokenness in these four fundamental relationships in our life. Right? So we have this primary relationship with God. Right? We were created to be in intimacy with God. But in our sin and our brokenness in the world, that was replaced by fear of God. If you want to flip to the, the next slide, two points. We have this relationship with ourselves, right? And we were created in God's image, in dignity. But in our brokenness and in our sin, that turned into a sense of shame. We have a relationship with others. We were made to love so deeply. And we went from loving communities to places of conflict. And fourth, we have a relationship with the rest of creation. We're called to be beautiful co-creators with God. But our joyful work turns into painful labor. These are the lives that we live. Right? This is the brokenness that we live within. And the Bible teaches <coughs> that we are to have these four beautiful relationships in harmony. And when they are flourishing, when they are restored, we do experience life the way that God intended us to. But we know that they're broken. And so for some, that brokenness looks like material poverty. But for others of us, our poverty looks very different. I trust that this resonates with you. This resonates deeply with me. As you look at this diagram and think about these four relationships in your life, I'm sure that there is brokenness in every area of them. This is absolutely true in my life. These are the lives that we actually live. And it is so easy for us to forget this and to have God complexes to put on our matching Mission Tour t-shirts <laughs> uh, and to think that we are better than the material poor. We wouldn't never say it, but we sometimes think it because we have something that they need. And of course, this creates a really unhealthy sense of dependency, especially in short-term mission. We are often so able to cover up our own poverty uh, with stuff. We can hide behind that so easily, and it's really dangerous. So instead, we think that a healthier, um, a better biblical approach is to recognize that we are all equals. We're all broken, equally in need of Jesus. And so when we go cross-culturally and we interact with the material poor, it is a level playing field. We are no better than anyone else. We are all impoverished in the sense that we're not experiencing these relationships in the way that God intended. We all need Jesus because he is the one who can restore what is broken. This, this is the gospel. And so when we go on a short-term mission, we go as equals because we are all experiencing poverty in these relationships. And so one of the questions that that I ask as we prepare sent participants is, where are you experiencing poverty in your life? What relationships are broken that you are looking for healing in? And how might this sent experience be a part of your healing? And we ask the same of the church. If it's a church group that's going, where is your church experiencing brokenness in these relationships? Where do you need healing as a church? And how might this trip be a part of that healing journey? 
So we've established that there are some challenges with the way that we have done mission and the way that we do mission, but we are committed to doing it better. And that better is rooted in a biblical understanding of mission and God's call to care for the poor and the marginalized and what it means to truly understand poverty. So what the heck is the purpose of a cinch trip? Why, why are we doing this? Uh, I want to tell you that there's a number of reasons and, um, and I want to encourage you with some of the good things that we've seen in this. The first and probably most important is learning. We go to learn with the posture of a learner, to learn about poverty and to learn about mission. I spoke here at chapel uh, online during the pandemic, and at that time, uh, we were right in the middle of the pandemic, and I was talking about how our partners globally are not really phased by the pandemic in the same way that we were losing our minds as a church. Um, as I talked to our partners, they said, like, oh, at least the pandemic is not in the top five crises that we're dealing with right now, right? And I just thought, of course, right? Like, the humility was overwhelming. Uh, we have so much to learn from the church in the global south. So much to learn. And, and my prayer was that during especially that pandemic time, we could find the humility to look to our brothers and sisters in the global south and say, you know how to faithfully live out the gospel through times of war and famine and genocide and conflict and poverty that we have no idea. Please teach us. We have so much to learn from our partners around the world. So learning is huge. Uh, fellowship, as Harry so wisely said on his 70th birthday this morning, there is an emphasis on doing in North America. Oh my goodness, we want to do, and we want to do things efficiently. We don't just want to like get them done. We want to do them the quickest way possible, the most efficient, the cheapest way possible. Right? That's, that's our value here in North America. And that's not right or wrong, it's just the world that we live in. Uh, but there's a different focus when we go on a short-term mission trip. It's not about doing. Sometimes we get to do things, and that's, that's really wonderful. Uh, Joel and I went and built latrines in El Salvador. We did not do it efficiently uh, <laughs> by any stretch. Absolutely, we got in the way of them because, I don't know about you, Joel, I've never mixed concrete before. And, uh, they were certainly so gracious to us as, uh, as they let us come alongside them because they weren't about efficiency. They were about community. They were so happy to welcome us. It was so humbling. It was about being together. It was about having those good conversations, about laughing together, seeing our shared common humanity and sharing our brokenness together. It's also about encouragement. We're pretty bad at this in North America, actually, I discovered. When, when I do uh, orientations now with sentience, we actually role play encouraging one another because we're actually quite bad at directly affirming one another. Right? We're really good at telling other people something that we, we notice in someone, but, but we're not actually that great sometimes at truly affirming people and speaking words of truth over their life. And so we practice doing this, and it's so awkward, and I love every minute of it, um, because when we go on short-term mission trips, often we do home visits, and it's really awkward when we all just sit there staring at each other. Uh, so we practice what this might look like, to affirm and encourage one another, because the heroes are the people in the field who are doing this work day in and day out. And it is long, hard, often discouraging work. And the support and the encouragement that we can bring when we, when we show up on a short-term mission trip can be really powerful if we're able to find those words and to speak that truth and affirmation over people. 
often people say, okay, yeah, we'll go to encourage, and then what do you want us to do? <laughs> and we have to back up, no, no, that is a purpose in itself. It is absolutely powerful. Uh, and lastly, long-term engagement. Uh, CBM became a thing because 150 years ago, our churches said, we can do mission better together than we can on our own, right? When, when a church, um, you know, maybe a, a leader or a pastor in the church finds a mission project they're passionate about and the church gets on board for a couple of years, and then that leader or that pastor moves on, what happens often with that mission project? And so our churches said, you know what, we can do this better together. We can have better long-term engagement. We can do sustainable work when we do this together so that as leaders come and go, as churches come and go, our partnerships continue. And so we wrestle with questions like, how do we continue to learn from and advocate for our partners? How do we steward the resources that God has given us? What does good long-term engagement look like cross-culturally? I mentioned one of the things that we wrestle with is the cost of a sent trip. It's huge. <laughs> that money could be used in so many ways, couldn't it? But we've actually asked this question of our partners over and over again. We have said, would you rather we send the money or would you rather we visit? And over and over again, they say, we would rather you visit. We want you to be with us. And that is an incredible invitation. We only work in places where we're invited. We only work through our partners. You'll be hard pressed to find a CBM logo anywhere outside of Canada because our work is always in and through the local partners in places where we've been invited. And we take that invitation very seriously. Right? It's the difference between um, if you were to plan a party where you're the host, you do the inviting, you set the dress code, you plan the meal, you say how many people can come, how wild and loud it's going to be, versus being invited into someone's home. When you're invited, what you bring matters. How loud you are matters. How many people you show up with matters. How long you stay matters. <laughs> so we go only because we've been invited. And we join God in what he's doing. And these are our partners. They're not strangers to us. They are our partners in ministry. So in real life uh, at CBM, this looks like all kinds of weird and wonderful things. We send dozens of teams a year. Hundreds of individuals go on cross-cultural trips with us. Some are university programs like Praxis or Claystone at EDC. Others are church-based teams. Some are women's groups. Some are youth groups. But one of the most inspiring things is when these teams get home, when the journey really has just begun, when they start to, to think through this experience and all that, that God is teaching them. I often get to hear uh, these stories as we journey with these folks. So sometimes it looks like a rural Canadian church that has traveled to the Philippines uh, and took their experience working with the Filipino church there, wrestled with it, began to apply all that they had learned and the result became greater engagement in their own community at home with the First Nations community. This church is finding healing in their relationship with their community as a result of their experience. Sometimes it looks like um, two young university students who actually traveled with us as young teenagers uh, to take part in some, uh, some camping ministry in Africa with us. And both of them came back to us seeking some direction in their vocational calling. Uh, one volunteered with us uh, in kids at risk ministry, another in some health-related work. 
as they began to discern God's calling, one into education, one into public global health, they, excuse me, as they joined God with us in Bolivia. It also looks like Praxis students, many of them from here, who found healing in their relationship with creation as they visited our partners in Africa and Rwanda and Kenya, and they are inspired by the local church initiatives to restore their relationship as co-creators with God, our relationship with our creator and creation. And the list goes on and on and on, and sometimes it's a small story, and sometimes it's a big story, but it's all part of God's story as we join him on his mission. And it is a deep honor to be a part of this work. It's a deep honor to see the gospel lived out and to bring healing into real people's lives. And so we would love to continue to work with you. We would love to work with you individually in the ministries where you're serving now to support you. Uh, and if there's any way that we can do that both now and in the future, uh, please don't ever hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, we deeply love the work that we do and we're deeply committed to it and to do it in partnership with you. Let me pray for us. God, we are so grateful, so grateful that you ask us to join you in mission. We thank you for such a loving invitation. We pray that we may find healing in you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel Podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.